Men and women react so differently to pregnancy news. Remember when I first started telling everyone that my wife and I were pregnant, and women just get so excited. They get emotional. It's like the best news that they've ever heard in their entire life. And then there's men. <laughs> men take the news a little bit differently, and at first they do good in front of all the wives. They got the game down. It's like, oh, that's so awesome. We're so happy for you. And then when I would get alone, they would all say the same thing. Your life is over. And... <laughs> At first, I kind of just laughed it off. I was like, ha ha, yeah, for sure, right? And the more I started to hear it, the more I started to believe it. Like, maybe my life is really over, right? And I began to get really discouraged. It kind of felt like I was going into the doctor's office and getting a horrible diagnosis. I felt like the doctor was like, Joe, you need to sit for a second. I've got to tell you something. I'm not sure how to say this, but it looks like you got the kids, right? And I'm like, Doc, is there anything that I can do? And he's like, not for the next 18 years. Maybe we can re-figure things out after that, but it's not looking so good after this, right? And I was so discouraged. I remember telling Andrew and Doug, um, I was like, guys, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. Maybe my life is actually over. And right after I told them that, we went somewhere together, and no joke, three guys told me that my life was over and I was never going to sleep ever again. But now that I've had my girls for five months, I can honestly say that my life isn't over. It's definitely very different than what it used to be. But I believe the best is truly yet to come for me and my small little family. I have a picture of my girls for you guys. That's my Sienna and my Mila. Um, they're very happy in that photo. And I just think that they're just the cutest little girls. And I'm not just saying that because they look just like their daddy, right? <laughs> but this morning I want to talk to you about a part of your life that may feel like it's over. And maybe a better way to say that is a part of your life that feels burned or broken. And I think if we were all honest with ourselves today, we all have parts of our life that feel a little broken, parts of our lives that feel a little burned. As long as you're living on this earth, we will always have new hurts to deal with every single day. And some of us are really good at sur suppressing the pain. We're good at pushing it deep down, pretending like it's not really there. But that doesn't deal with the issue. and It doesn't deal with the problem. Let's talk about some of these different issues that we have today. For some of you guys, your marriage feels so broken today. You just never can seem, see, seem to see eye to eye. You're always fighting, and it just feels like it's headed for divorce. And you're not sure if your marriage is going to make it. You're not sure how that's going to affect your kids. For some of you, you feel burned today because you've lost someone that you love recently. And you're not sure how you're going to be able to move on without that person. For some of you, it's someone that you lost a really long time ago, and you've never really been able to get on with your life. Maybe you were angry with God that he allowed that to happen, and that burn has always been a part of your life. For others of you, it's a choice you made. You made a really poor choice in life, and that sin brought a lot of brokenness into your life, and it just feels like everything around you is falling apart, and now there is just so much pain in your life, and you just feel so broken. For others of you, you've been trying to have children and it just seems like God is completely silent on this issue and you've been believing and you've been trusting but it just seems like there's no answer and so you feel burned today. Others of you, your child is making some really poor choices today or is just really hurting and you don't understand why all of this is happening and so you just feel broken inside by what's going on. We all have things that are going on today and my hope is that we can bring these things to the surface and see what God has to say about all of this. But here's what our problems would love to do. They would love to define us. 
They would love to tell you that you are the divorce, that you are that sin, that you are that broken relationship. But those things don't have to define you. And too many of you guys have been living in that identity for too long. You've let it define your life. You've let it define the course of your life. And that has brought so much pain to you. And here's the other lie that you believe, that things will always be this way. No matter what you try, no matter what you heard, that things will always be this way. Maybe there's been a guy like me on a stage like this before who told you things could be different. But Monday hits, and things seem exactly how they were the day before. My hope tonight is that God would reveal something so powerful to you, that your lives would be changed forever. I'm walking with someone right now who made a really poor choice. And I know that the things that I just talked to you about are true because there are things that they tell me all the time. They feel like they'll never be able to escape these feelings that they have. They feel like they will always be stuck in this choice and it will define them for the rest of your life. But that doesn't have to be true. They feel like God can never really forgive them. They feel like when they stand before him one day that all he'll see is their brokenness. All he'll see is their burn. But I think that there is more to that because we serve such an amazing God. I love HGTV, and I really was into it when we were looking for a house. It took us a really long time for my wife and I to find the right house for us, and we looked everywhere. And finally, I found a house that I liked, and my wife didn't like it so much because it was a fixer-upper. It needed work, but I could see that this house had a lot of potential. And that's what all these shows do, right? They take this couple who has just such great dreams of having the perfect home, and they take them to these homes that are kind of broken down, and they tell them, we can make this something awesome. But they have such a hard time seeing it because all they can see is the mess. And I feel like that's kind of my job for you this morning because the people can never see what the designer sees. And I don't think we can really see what God sees when it comes to our messes. And my job is to remind you today that God can do something with the messes in your life. Imagine if they had a show on HGTV where all they did was take people to broken houses that were a mess. The roof is falling apart. The bathroom needs to be redone. The carpets need to be ripped up. Just a total mess. And they said, wow, this is so awful. And the couple is so excited to hear their plan. And then it just ended. The TV show was done, right? That would be the worst show ever. Yet so many of us live our lives that way. We are so caught up in the mess. We think it's too overwhelming. We think it's too big. We don't think God can do anything with it. And we stay in the mess. We let that become our lives. It's time that we do something about this. God has too much of a plan for your life to stay in that mess that you are currently stuck in. And my hope today is that you can see that God has something so awesome for you. And if there's nothing in your life that you feel like is burned or broken, my first thought is that you're probably not being honest with yourself this morning. I promise you that everyone has something in here that's going on. But if that is you, what we're going to talk about, I believe, is one of the most amazing characteristics of God. When I hear this about God, it changes the way I live my life. It changes the way I worship and the way that I interact with others. See, it's so easy to be indifferent sometimes. We come to church every Sunday. We hear about him. We sing some songs. We go home. I think more of us need to be moved in our relationship with God. Our passion needs to increase. What we're going to talk about today moves me. It fills me with passion. It changes the way 
that I worship. And I pray that it would do the same for you today. And so we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah, and this is what it says in chapter 1. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some of the other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So here's Nehemiah, and someone's coming from out of his town and telling him what's going on back in his home of Jerusalem. And what you need to understand here is a little bit of background. Now, God's chosen people had gotten kicked out of their land because they had made some really poor choices. They had chosen to worship idols over God, and God gave them so many chances to turn from this. But time and time again, they went back to their brokenness. They went back to their idols, and God needed to put an end to it. He needed to show them that there was something better, so he allowed them to be taken over. They were put in exile for 70 years. Now, this is important for a lot of us in the room because as I've been talking about these different ways that we're burned and broken, you've been thinking it's for everyone else because you made the mess for yourself. The reason your life is broken, the reason your life is burned is because of some of the choices that you made. And so you think this is for people where life has been really tough to them. No. This is for those of us in the room that have caused the mess in our own life. And the enemy's going to probably come and tell you that this isn't for you. But it is. And there is hope for you and what is going on in your life today. This is what it says in verse 3. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the providence are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Things were a total mess in his home. And he's brokenhearted over it. It's killing him that things are this way. And some of you can relate to that pain today. You want things to be different. You want change. You're just not really sure if it's possible or if it could ever happen. Let's read this next verse. Lord, the God of heaven, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night. For your servants, the people of Israel, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. This is where it all starts. This is where it begins for you today. It's falling on your hands and your knees and admitting your brokenness before God. Some of us have such a hard time getting to this place. Our pride keeps us from admitting the fault, the harm that we caused in the relationship. We blame everyone else for our problems. We blame everyone else for our issues. But really, you need to look in the mirror and own your brokenness before God. And that's exactly what Nehemiah does right here. He gets on his hands and his knees and he says, God, I admit my fault and the fault of my people. Can you do something with this mess? And here's what I truly believe. If Nehemiah doesn't do this right here, there's no more of this story. It, it ends right before this. But because he was willing to humble himself, get on his hands and knees and say, God, do something with this brokenness. 
God comes into this situation. And as we read through this, you're going to see all that God does because of the favor on Nehemiah, because he got on his hands and his knees before God. This is super practical. This is really easy. This is something that everyone in this room can do. You want to see the broken pieces put back together? Go home and do this. Let it be real. There's so much power behind it. This is what it says in Nehemiah chapter 2. And we're going to be jumping around a little bit because we don't have time to read all the books of, uh, all the chapters of Nehemiah today. But we're going to jump to chapter 2 now. And this is what it says. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why shouldn't my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked him, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. Nehemiah has this bold request before the king. This is a huge thing for the king to let him go and do this. But he finds favor in the sight of the king. You know what's so interesting to me about this? This is going to get a little bit off topic for a second, but it's important that we see this and catch this. What's so interesting is in the Old Testament, we hear stories that are very popular about these Israelites who are put into captivity. You guys have heard about Daniel before, right? Daniel in the lion's den, Meshach, Ratchak, and Abednego, and Nehemiah. You know what they all have in common? They all found favor with the people in charge of them, every single one of them. Why is that? And this is what I think it is, is when you honor God, men will honor you. They won't help it, be able to help giving you favor when you put God first in your life. There's something so powerful about that. And so some of you are struggling maybe in the workplace or hurting. Maybe your boss is really hard to you. Start honoring God with all of your choices. Put him first and watch how God will give you favor with everyone else. And that's exactly what God does for Nehemiah. He gives him huge favor right now that the king would release him. Nehemiah was the cupbearer for the king. And what the cupbearer would do is taste anything that would come to the king to make sure it wasn't poison. But Nehemiah had worked his way way beyond that. He had started there. He's much more of an advisor to the king at this point. And the king really respects Nehemiah. And let me just explain to you what happens next because there's two amazing things that happen. Not only does the king let him go, but the king gives him a letter that Nehemiah asked for. He said, hey, can you write me a letter that would allow me to get to the providence that I'm trying to get to, to Jerusalem, without any other trouble, so no one else will attack us, that they will know that we have your full backing, king. And the king grants him that wish. And not only does he grant it, he sends a small army with him to protect him on that journey. The second thing he asked for is for the king to fund the entire rebuild. And the king agrees. The king writes a letter to supply everything that they would need to rebuild what was broken. You know what that tells me? Is that God will not hold back anything that you need to rebuild the broken parts of your life. 
He will give you the strength that you need. He will give you the grace that you need. He will give you everything. Some of you just think you can't do it. You don't have what it takes. That's for good Christians. I I can't do that. I'm not strong enough. No. God will meet you at your point of need and give you exactly what you need to take on the burn and take on the brokenness and see full and complete healing. Now we're going to skip down to verse 17. And what happens in the meantime is they get to Jerusalem and they kind of check out all the walls and they kind of assess all the damage. And this is what he says to the people in verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began the good work. The biggest problem for so many of us today is we think that God wants us to stay burned and broken. We think that God wants us to stay in ruins. We think that God is angry at us. He wants us far away from his presence because of all the wrong that we have done. But that couldn't be farther from the truth. God delights in restoring his people. It brings his heart great joy. When the world has discarded you, God calls you. He's chosen you. Some of you just need to change your view of God. He isn't upset with you. What he did on the cross is enough. There is forgiveness. And yes, there will be a time of consequences. And sometimes that hurts. But after those consequences, there's restoration. There's healing. And God can put the broken pieces back together. But you just need the faith to believe it. You need to be brave enough. Nehemiah was brave enough. I wonder how many other people were upset about the news of Jerusalem and didn't do anything about it because they thought it was too overwhelming, too big of a job, that it could never be done. Nehemiah was brave enough to believe that God really is who he says he is. Can you be that brave? See, I'm giving you the promise in God's word today. The question is, can you water it by faith? Can you believe? Can you take a hold of it? We have such a hard time with that. We want to know exactly how it's going to happen, how it's all going to unfold. But that's not your job to know how it unfolds. Your job is to believe by faith that God really can do it. No matter how big and how overwhelming it is, believe, be brave enough, stare that issue down, and know that God is with you in the middle of it. And then chapter 3, it kind of just gives us the details of what everyone did in the rebuild and all the families that were there. And Nehemiah was a great leader. He didn't take extra food for himself. He made sure that everyone was at the same level. And there were a lot of different divisions and and different groups that were getting upset, but Nehemiah led them so well right through all of it. And we get to verse 4. In chapter 4, verse 1, and it says this. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly enraged. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from the heaps of rubble burned as they are? I want to read that to you one more time. 
Can they bring the stones back to life from the heaps of rubble burned as they are? There will always be opposition to restoration. Sometimes the way that you know you're on the right path is when there's a little bit of opposition in your path. The enemy has had you guys in your burned or your brokenness for a very long time. And he doesn't want to let go. And so you're going to have to fight back a little bit. You're going to have to believe by faith that God can do this. When you're trying to restore, you're going to hear those lies. The enemy's going to tell you, you can't do that. It's not for you. You're too much of a sinner. God could never love you. He could never forgive you. If everyone else knew what you did, they wouldn't let you in these doors. For some of us, it's an actual person that knows what we did, and they remind us every day of all the ways that we've fallen short. Say things like, how dare you call yourself a Christian? How dare you try and act that way? I know who you really are. And we hear those lies over and over again. And we give up so easily because we just feel like there's no way we can get through it. We believe the voice of the enemy, the voice of our doubters over God's promises. And as long as you're doing that, you're going to stay burned and broken. But you need to be willing to fight back. Whenever there's an issue with anyone on my teams in the green room or 22-6 kids, I always tell them, if that person is really upset with you, mad at you, don't talk back to them. Don't say anything to them. All you tell them is go talk to Joey. And the reason why I do that is because sometimes parents are a little bit biased when it comes to their kids. Um, you know, it's really funny. And I'm a parent now, and I can kind of see myself becoming that way a little bit. And I'm not thinking about anyone when I say this, but parents never think their kids are wrong. Like, their kid could be hitting another kid in the face with a toy, and they would be like, oh, how sweet my child is, sharing that toy with that kid's face. Like, like what an angel, right? You think I'm joking when I say stuff like that. But, but the reason why I do that is because those are my people. I place them there. I know who they are. I don't let anyone on my team that I don't know well. And so if someone has an issue with them and they're in the wrong, I'll take care of it. I'll discipline them. But if they're in the right, I will be their biggest advocate. I will stand up for them. And I will say, no, that's not true. You're not really seeing the situation right. And some of us need to look at our doubters probably the biggest one being the enemy, and say, go talk to God about this issue. Because I didn't say that I could restore my situation. I didn't say I can do anything about my burns or about my brokenness, but God promised me in his word. So your problem isn't with me. Your problem was with God, because he's the one who's given this to me. And some of you need to stare the enemy down. Stop retreating whenever he comes calling. He's got some of you so beat. He knows exactly what to say to you to get you to run from the promise that God has for you. But you need to look that lie down and say, you go talk to God about it because he promised this. I am his child and I'm gonna take this restoration because it's my inheritance through Christ. So let's look at this next verse now in Nehemiah chapter six. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month. In 52 days, 
And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. See, I chose this passage because it's amazingly divine, but it's also human too. It's amazing that they were able to accomplish this in 52 days. Without the favor of God, they would not have been able to do this. Everyone else around them was terrified because they knew that God was with them. But it also didn't happen overnight. It wasn't just an instant thing where they decided, all right, I want to be restored. And it instantly was. It was something that they had to work at. It was a process. And for some of you, it's going to be a process. It might not happen immediately. We want it to. But you're going to have to work at it. And there's power in the process. There's beauty in the process. God calls it sanctification as he works on us and makes us more like himself. And some of you can't get discouraged in the waiting. There will be some tough days where you are really going to have to fight and stand your ground throughout this process. But that doesn't mean the promise isn't yours. You can step into it now. Just because the battle's already won doesn't mean you don't have to show up and fight. So many Christians misunderstand that. You still have to come up and fight and play your part. But God has already won the victory. You just need to walk in it now and believe it by faith. And one of the coolest things that Nehemiah did, and that so many of you are going to have to do this, is when these characters like Sambalot, because they would come at them a lot and they would threaten them. And so Nehemiah eventually set up some guards to stand place. And he told every man that was building and working on the wall, he said, I want you to work with a sword on your hip. That's so good, it preaches for itself this morning. The Bible is sharper than a two-edged sword. It's, it's the word of God, right? So many of us, while we're in this process, while we're working on it, need to work with God's word on our hip. That any time the enemy comes at us with one of his lies, we have scripture that fights back. Some of you need to go home and find some scripture, write it down and carry it with you everywhere you go. And every single time you hear a lie, you let the enemy know that you're not an easy target, that you're not going to just roll over, that you're going to stand on God's word and see victory in your life. I love that Nehemiah made them work with their sword on the hip. Such a powerful example to us today. You know what else this verse tells me is that the size of your difficulty is often a sign of your potential. So many of you have such great potential and the enemy is so terrified of what you could do with your life, so terrified of the people that you could reach. There's people that you could reach that I never could. And the enemy is terrified about that, of all that your family could do, all the power that God could unleash through you terrifies him. Maybe a better way to say this is the size of your brokenness is often a sign of your potential. The more broken you are, the more glory God gets when he restores you. How powerful is that. What an example of God's greatness, of his glory, than him being willing to use broken and flawed people like you and I. That these broken things don't define us anymore. They have no power to tell me who I really am. But Jesus can say who I really am. And so what impossible situation do you think God can't restore? What is it? Is it that relationship? Is it that child? Is it that sin that you committed? 
because it's all dealt with by the cross. There is nothing too big. God's claim for your life is more powerful than anything else. I love what Nehemiah says that. You have no claim over us. God has all claim over your life when you are in Christ Jesus. Nothing else can tell you who you really are but God himself. And there's nothing too big, no difficulty that you're working through today that he can't overcome. You just gotta believe that he can really do it. And so here's the bottom line. What I want you guys to catch is that Jesus can bring the ruins back to life. Jesus can bring the ruins back to life. Almost forgot to tell you guys this. Is that when God restores, he doesn't just make things how they used to be. They're always better than they were before. When God restores, he multiplies so that they were better than when they used to be, that it's greater. We see this in the life of Job. Job had suffered in so many different ways in his life. And the Bible tells us that at the end, he had a double portion of everything that he had in the beginning. And his latter days were better than the beginning. The same is true for us today, that when God restores you, the anointing is doubled, that the relationship is better than it was before that the child is stronger than it was before. When you believe and you let God come in to the burn and you let God come into the brokenness, it's always greater than it was before. I want to read to you guys something that my grandfather wrote. He used to write a newsletter for this church and he wrote this in June of 1999. In my own life, I can attest to God's great restoring power because on too many occasions and in too many incidents, God has taken me back from the brink of destruction and has restored my life in ways that I could never have dreamed of. But I must confess that the enemy has not been responsible for all of the wrong that has taken place in my life. I have to shoulder some of the responsibility for things that have happened to me, things that have occurred because of the poor choices I have made. I have paid the price for my mistakes. I have found that even my mistakes, God is able to filter through his great restoring power. Beloved, I have seen God restore almost all the areas of my life that the locusts have eaten. And God has even allowed me to do things in my life now that I was not able to accomplish when I was working and well. My grandfather went through really hard times of sickness and cancer. And I just wonder, go with me for a moment here. I wonder if one of the reasons why God allowed my grandfather's life to be so broken was so that someone in this room today who didn't believe that God could really restore, that God couldn't really put the pieces back together, could hear his testimony right now. Because God, in his great wisdom and foresight, knew that his grandson would be standing on the stage. And between three services today and people watching online, almost 600 people will hear that testimony. What a great God we serve. Here's what I believe, that nothing is wasted ever. God sees it exactly what you're going through today. And now what you do when God sets you free from your burn or brokenness is you help others. You see what they're going through and you help them with what seems impossible in their life. Jesus can bring the ruins back to life. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for today. That you're a good God. That you are full of grace and mercy, Lord. And I pray over everyone in this building, that you would restore all that the locusts have eaten. God, I pray that people would work at this restoration with your word at their hip, Lord. 
that they would fight back, that they wouldn't be an easy target for the enemy. God, I pray that we would see lives change, that we would see families change, God. We believe by faith that you can do this. Even when we can't see, even when we can't understand, we know that you are still on your throne. We love you, Jesus. We'd be lost without you today, God. Every good thing in our life is from you. We don't misunderstand that. We get that today, God. You are so good. You are so powerful. Thank you, God, that you love to restore broken people, that it pleases you, God. I just pray, God, that today would be the day of new beginnings, Lord, that people would go home and fall on their hands and their knees. They would seek you, God, that Monday morning they would keep fighting, that this would bring real, lasting change. We love you, Lord. Pray all these things in your name. Amen.